Welcome to the Entrepreneur Cast, your source for tactical lessons in entrepreneurship from a cast of entrepreneurs. I'm Jason Demers. And I'm Sam McRoberts. And today we're going to talk about 11 psychological hacks that you can use to actually be more productive. Cool. I think productivity is something every entrepreneur should become comfortable with. And I mean, let's face it, none of us are all uh, productive all the time, right? We all, we all get distracted or don't want to, don't want to be productive. But I think this is a really good, really good set of tips that you can use to help increase your productivity. So let's start with keeping yourself accountable. So the Hawthorne effect. Right? People behave differently when they know that they're being watched or monitored. So you could use this in a variety of ways. But one of the best is to find somebody who can help you to stay accountable. So an accountability partner. This could be friend, loved one. One of those random sites where you like put money down and somebody holds you accountable. And if you don't do what you say you're going to do, they keep the money. I've actually heard Tim Ferriss mention a variant of that where you put the money in. And if you don't do what you said you're going to do, it gets donated to a charity that represents something you absolutely detest. <laughs> so like, maybe I, I say <laughs> I'm going to do this by this date. And if I don't, my money goes to PETA. <laughs> <laughs> it's very so, clever. But finding finding some way to keep yourself accountable, I mean, it'd be ideal if you can always keep yourself accountable, but sometimes it helps to know that you're being being watched, right? I mean, I guess that's one of the one of the core reasons religion has been so good for societal like cohesion and behavior policing because if there's somebody who's always watching and gonna punish you if you screw up, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. It's the it's the invisible security camera in the sky that always watches and always reads your thoughts, right? Big Daddy's watching. Yep. There, there's an interesting study that I just have to I have to have you heard about this one, Sam? It was the hand washing study. And God, I, I didn't I didn't look this one up. So I, I can't I can't properly cite it, but maybe in the show notes we can. But there was this study where they they wanted to increase the number of people at some company or some lab or something who were washing their hands after using the bathroom. And you know, the initial the initial amount of people was something very low, like 10 or 20% of people would wash their hands, something gross. Um, but what they did is they put this, um, this sort of counter in the restroom that it was like a digital counter. And every time someone would wash their hands, it would, it would up the counter by one and say like, woohoo, you know, the last 48 people or whatever have washed their hands. You know, um, when they did that, the number jumped to something ridiculous, like 90 plus percent of people would wash their hands because they felt like they were being monitored and there was no video camera in the room. They sure. just had some sensor so that, you know, if, if somebody goes into the restroom and the, and like the faucet turns on then they're considering that like a, a hand washing event. And so when the people felt like they were being monitored or tracked, they actually vastly improved or, or you know, their, their activity their behavior became such uh, it, it became what they what the company or the lab or whatever wanted them to do. So yeah, Smart. just just monitoring. That's the Hawthorne effect. So it works. Um, and you can you can monitor yourself with like tools or things like you said, Sam, but anyway. Yeah, I mean and in some cases, like 
you know, you, you hopefully know yourself. Uh, and if you get to know yourself, you know your, your strengths and your weaknesses. And you could use things like rescue time to track what things are distracting you and lock those out. You can do, I mean, so, so this is like Tim Ferriss has actually talked about this a lot. He's kind of a productivity nut. And he's come up with some some really, really interesting ways to approach it, like giving a VA the password to a site and telling him to change it and not giving you access until a certain date or time. Or having, <laughs> like I don't having, somebody, having somebody take your phone away, locking your phone in a box with a timed lock on it so you don't get it for an hour or two. Like If you're the type of person who has no self-control, you may need to take some extreme steps to make yourself be productive. But realistically, you probably need to get to the root of why you're not yeah. being productive and, yep. and solve it. You know, instead of treating the symptoms, solve the problem. <laughs> I agreed. So number two is Parkinson's law. And this Parkinson's law says that the amount of time it takes to do something increases to fill whatever time you have allocated for it. So in other words, if I have, if I tell myself, um, all right, I'm going to write this email by, you know, let's say it's 11 AM right now. And I, I say, I'm going to write this email by, by noon, then I won't write that freaking email until noon. Yep. Essentially the time that I gave myself to do it is how long it will take me to do it. So Cramming. what I can do is I can tell myself, I'm going to write this email within the next five minutes and that's my deadline. And then I need to move on to something else. And then I will get it done within the next five minutes this so that's what parkinson's law is so the takeaway is give yourself shorter deadlines to do things whatever you think it is whatever time you think you you can do it in the shortest amount sorry whatever the shortest amount of time is you think you can do it give yourself that deadline and then hold yourself to it i would also and, say breaking things down you know if if something's going to take a longer chunk of time maybe breaking it down into steps so that you can do you know, I will do this piece in 10 minutes, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. That's that, that really works well as well. Yeah. Just breaking big, big projects down into shorter, smaller chunks and then time limiting those chunks. Yeah. That's a good method. All right. So the next one for me, this is, this is my method of choice and that is achieve a flow state. So a state of flow, this was, I, I think the concept of flow was really brought into the mainstream by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. A researcher. And the concept is that if you are doing something, if you're doing a task with immediate feedback at the edge of your abilities in an area you have high interest in, you can get into this state of flow, of focus, where time starts to flow funny. You're not really aware of the passage of time. You're not really aware of what's going on around you. You're just, you're in the zone. And I found that for me, for work, like that is the ideal. And I have a handful of things that I do to get into a flow state. So one is I always work in the same sort of setup, same place, same laptop, same environment. Two, whenever I work, I always listen to music. And primarily it's music with no words, just sound. And I will actually tune that music to like my, my mood. We'll talk more about music in a minute, but it's a tool that I use. Like I know when I sit down and flip on my music, it's time to work and focus and it helps to block out background noise. And then I can drill into what I'm doing. And I have such clear like processes and steps for most of the tasks that I do that it's easy to get in it. There's lots of little micro milestones. And so I, I can very quickly slip into flow, but flow is you know, it doesn't last forever. It's hard to stay in a state of flow for longer than maybe 60 to 90 minutes. 
there's probably exceptions, but I'd say that's generally a decent, a decent chunk to aim for. What do you say, Jason? Yeah, I'm, I was just trying to think about how and if and when I, I achieve flow state. I feel like I don't often do it. Um, but I feel like when I do, I'm typically listening to music that I'm familiar with that I know so that it kind of is already pre or auto processed in my mind. And I'm generally doing a task that I consider to be fairly easy, but it's something I still need to do, but it's something I'm familiar with. I think, I think I could say that I get into flow state when I'm doing something that's very familiar and I almost just slip into autopilot. Is that what you would say? Yeah. Autopilot's another one. Another yeah. way to, to refer to it. You don't yeah. you don't have to give it a lot of thought. But usually flow, like flow is considered to be a, a peak experience. So there's often a significant like either focus or emotional component. There can be. It's it's very commonly found in extreme sports because you're doing something literally at the edge of your ability. There's immediate feedback on whether you're doing well or not. It requires you know intense focus in order to do it to peak performance. I think you could say the same of chess players, professional gamers, you know any situation where you just like it's going to require this intense level of focus. But I think doing something that's become a habit or that's you know it's so easy or so routine, I think that can also be a means to flow. Yeah, I agree with the professional gamers and stuff. Like, I feel like I get into a flow state when I play certain video games, especially competitive ones. And I know you've mentioned the same thing about like Apex Legends, right? When I, if I sit down and play Apex and I'm not careful, like hours will will disappear if I just get yeah. into that. Yeah, I've felt the same way with with games that I've played too. It just you you look up at the clock and you're like, how the hell did three or four hours go by? And right. do, you think, do you think it's because of, of you were in a flow state during that time and time just yeah. lost meaning? Yeah. So I've actually, I've actually written about this a little, I should do a, I should do an article specifically about gaming and flow, but mm-hmm. a game like a game like apex is almost a perfect structure for inducing flow. So because of the matchmaking system, you're usually put in with people who are close ish to you in ability. So you're pushed to the edge of your ability. There's a level of, there's a level of novelty, uh, nothing is ever exactly the same, although there's still some familiarity. There's immediate feedback. I mean, somebody's shooting at you, like you you know you're screwing up, or if you're not hitting your shots, or so you, so you get that immediate feedback from from the game. It feels intense. The pacing can be fast, and so like it's got it's got all these pieces that are just like perfect, perfect for flow. And I think it's probably because it mimics very closely mimics what it would have been like to go to war or hunt as a, a tribal like hunter gatherer. Oh, and so yeah. it, it lights up that part of your, your brain that, you know, combat, like combat, it, you'll often hear people recounting combat as if they'd been in a flow state, you know, time seemed to blur. Everything's a, a rush. They were so focused and intense and yeah. You know, you know how when NBA players, when they just go on a streak and it's called being on fire, right. Where they just can't on seem fire, to make a yeah. shot. I wonder if that's flow, like maybe they're in flow state when they're, when they're on quote unquote on fire. Probably. I, I, that sounds exactly like, exactly like a flow state. And I feel like in a true flow state, you're not, it's not conscious. Like you're not thinking through your decisions. You're not carefully thinking through what's going to come next. You are, you're flowing, you're allowing your, your muscle memory and your experience to take over and guide things. I think you can slip into a flow state while driving. You know, you I was just about to say that. Yeah. When I'm doing yeah. road trips and you're just yeah. going down and the road, like, dude, it's been a hundred miles. Like I, 
I don't, you know, I don't remember like being conscious about the last hundred miles. Like I was operating yeah. the car and focusing on things, but like not really there. Yeah. I've told, I've experienced that so many times and it's almost a little scary because you're like, I, I don't remember the last, yeah, 50, hundred miles. I, but, but obviously I made it. I, I, is, I turned where I needed why, to, I changed lanes yeah. where I needed to, I stopped where I needed to, but where was I? This is why, this is why I enjoy like going down rabbit holes, like consciousness yeah. because we, we can do an awful lot without really being conscious of it. It's interesting. It's pretty fascinating. All right, moving on. So number four is the, to use the two minute rule. This rule says that you should essentially just, if, if it takes less than two minutes, just do it right now. Just do it right now. And in doing so, what you'll find is that all of those little tr- tiny trivial tasks, uh, you, you can just hammer those out and that will significantly reduce your cognitive overhead or your existential overhead in a sense. You will feel the burden lifted when you get uh, a quantity of tasks off your shoulders, even if it's little tasks. Um, and so that's why if it takes less than two minutes, just do it right now. It's a good one. And I've heard, I, I can't remember who said this. I want to say maybe James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. But sometimes, you know, a task may seem a little much. Like I'm going to do 25 push-ups five times a day. And it comes time to do the push-ups and it's like, eh, I don't know if I really want to do it. So instead say, all right, at five times a day, I'm going to drop down and do one push-up. Boil it down to the first discrete step. And you do the one push-up, and then it's like, well, I'm already down here and doing push-ups. <laughs> I was just about to say, I'd, if I'm already down there. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's just taking that first step so you get a little bit of momentum. I think that would apply also. You know, If it's not going to take long, or if you're hesitant to get started, just taking one tiny discrete step to build up a little bit of momentum. Yeah, that that's a really good one. That should almost be its own its own number because I I do think that taking the first step toward doing something gets you that momentum that breaks that barrier. And I I always find it easier to continue doing something once I'm already doing it. But starting to do something is where the hard part often is. So that's a really good one too. That's kind of like a bonus. <laughs> number five. So this is another one that I use not officially, but try something like the Pomodoro technique. So with this, the concept is that you break out your work, the, the focused, like high leverage work you need to do into chunks of about 25 or 30 minutes. And then after you've completed that focused work chunk, sometimes it goes longer. Like you don't have to stop at the end of that time, but you, you know that you've given yourself a discrete amount of time to do that focused work. And then you take a break. You do something unrelated after to free up your mind so that you, you have this clear shift, this clear delineation. And then you rinse and repeat throughout the day. You break your day up into sequences of focused work, break, focused work, break. And that allows you to get a lot more done. I remember reading a study ages ago that said the average office worker out of an eight-hour workday only works for like three and a half hours. And you'll find, I'm sure a lot of people are discovering this now working from home, is that you don't really need eight hours a day of work to get all your work done, what you need is probably more like three to four and a half hours of really focused work. So a handful of those Pomodoro cycles to really bang out what you need to get done without interruption. Yeah. I like it. I don't really use the Pomodoro technique, um, but yeah, you know, I, I know that it works for many people. I don't, I don't allow myself to work for longer than a certain amount of time unless I'm in flow. So I usually say, all right, I'm going to work for the next 90 minutes. 
block out the time, sit down to work, and then I work. And if I finish before it's over, I get up and do something else. If I go a little long, but I'm in flow, that's fine. But I try and give myself at least a 90-minute chunk to work with so that I, I don't have anything else that's going to distract me from that. That's good advice. So number six would be to use the Seinfeld productivity secret. So you probably know Jerry Seinfeld. When he was an up-and-coming comedian, he made a commitment to himself to write one joke a day. And in doing so, what he did is he created a chain. And he never. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have a calendar, okay? Picture a calendar on the wall. And for every day that he wrote a joke, he would put an X on that day on the calendar. And it was his goal to never break that chain of Xs. So what you can do is figure out what it is you want to do. Maybe, maybe it's something as simple as like, uh, you know, I want to floss every day or something like that. Put an X on, you know, on the calendar. And what you'll find is that for every day you do it, the longer that streak goes on, the more resistant you will be, the more pain it, you will feel to, you know, or, or aversion you'll feel to breaking that chain. And that means that you will actually do that thing. Please. So, they use the same concept in AA with the medallions, the sobriety chips or tokens. You know, as you hit milestones, you get a new a new coin or a new token to mark how long you've been sober, and you're trying to not break that chain. Yeah, and this this print this concept is also used by uh, Duolingo, which is an app that you can use to learn a foreign language. So I'm learning German on Duolingo, and Brittany is learning Japanese. Ohio, because I'm a, it's about the oh. only word I know in Japanese. Oh. oh, Brittany's getting pretty good at Japanese. It's, 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 it's fun, but, um, it's cool. but yeah, they show you a streak for how many days you've, uh, you've, you've signed in and, and used the app and completed a, a certain amount of, of work within the app. And my parents actually are both, uh, using Duolingo and for them, the streak is enormously important, even though it has no actual importance, it has this cognitive importance. So my mom, I just talked with her, uh, yesterday she's up to like a 300 and something day streak right now on duolingo like that means every single day every day with no exception she has logged in used the app and and accomplished some sort of goal in the app and so it i mean it it works if you can give yourself a streak to build up a streak and don't break it the longer that streak gets the less likely you will be to actually break it and that will keep you productive it will build habits i like that this is a principle I actually put in on on an app that I have been tinkering with called Quippy, which is K W I P P Y. And for it, it I won't go into it in depth right now, but it's it's kind of like it's a photo app where throughout the day uh, you get a random challenge and you have to take a picture in response to the challenge. And so in the app, for every challenge that you participate in your streak goes up by one. And if you miss a challenge, then your streak goes back to zero. And I've seen some people build their streaks up to like into the eighties, nineties, hundreds, um, which tells me like, Hey, this streak concept really works. If you give someone the ability to build a streak, they will not want to break it. <laughs> yep. So that's the Seinfeld productivity secret. Number seven, talked a little bit about this already, but listening to music you know, volume, volume matters. The type of music matters. Everybody's a little different. So I think this one you'd have to tailor to you, but I've heard this, I've heard this a lot and not even, not even just music. So you could, for example, have one specific 
soundtrack or set of music that you listen to every time you work. It could be a single song that you play on repeat. So it functions as kind of background noise. I also remember Tim Ferriss talking about using a movie when he was writing the four hour work week, he had like the born identity playing on repeat in the background. It was just kind of this background soundtrack for him as he, as he worked, but having some sort of a pattern like that can actually be a really useful trick for slipping into flow. It can serve as sort of a totem or a trigger to put you in that state. You can do it. You can actually do this with a lot of stuff. You can do it with gum. You can do it with a routine, but essentially whenever this sequence starts, I hear this music. My brain knows, aha, it's time to work and focus and down you go. Down you go to that rabbit hole and you start being productive. So training your brain and using music as a means to help you with productivity can be very effective. Yeah, I, I really like listening to music while I work and I do find that it helps me be more productive. If if there's no music while I'm working, I feel like something's missing. So Yeah, me too. Uh, number eight would be to put your phone in another room entirely. No, you can't just turn it off. No, you can't just put it on silent. No, you can't just flip it over so that it's face so that it's face down. There have been studies that have shown that simply having your phone in the same room as you, even if it's completely turned off, like powered off, it actually distracts you and decreases productivity. What you have to do is put it in another room, it pre- preferably as far away as possible. The farther it physically away. Is away from you, the better is what they found in these studies. So we're all addicted to our phones. Let's admit it. I'm addicted to mine. My phone is always in my pocket every day. I need to be better at this. But there is something into your nice augmented reality contact lenses, buddy. (laughs) Oh, you know, I I I am excited for (laughs) for that sort of stuff. What I will say though is that the studies, the data, the science shows. Your phone is distracting and reducing your productivity. I think we all kind of know that, but we're all resistant to putting our phones out of reach. Sam, are you addicted to your phone? To some degree. I mean, it's a fucking slot, slot machine, right? It's yeah. got all the little things, bells, whistles, lights, badges. Like it's, it's designed that way on purpose. It's meant to be addictive. I use my phone a lot, but I also use my phone for a lot of things. Like I read a lot of articles books on my phone. I use it for music. So I mean, I'd consider it pretty indispensable, but needing to look at the screen while I'm working, generally that's not a thing. I, I like, I like getting into flow state. So my phone goes in my pocket and my headphone goes on. So, yep. so number nine, I would say rewarding yourself whenever you finish a task. So there's nothing like a bit of Pavlovian training to get yourself to do something you need to do. And So you could say, all right, well, anytime I complete this task, and you can even give yourself a deadline. If I have this done by X time, I'm going to have some sort of a reward. That reward could be, I hesitate to say a treat. Sure. It's like a dog treat. Like you said, Pavlovian, right? You probably shouldn't make it some sort of sugar or something that's shitty for you, but it could be... I don't know. It could be a, a reward. You put a quarter into a jar that you can spend towards something you really want. You could go and you could get to take a break and go for a walk. If I finish this by this time, I get 30 minutes to go for a walk and just relax. Like come up with whatever is, is motivating to you. But I mean, why not? Like our brains are wired for rewards and punishments. You might as well leverage a reward to get yourself to do something. If you need a little bit of extra nudge to be productive. Might as well. Hey, see if it works. So number 10 would be to do your most difficult tasks first. And right now you might be thinking, but Jason, didn't you just say to, to, you know, use the two minute rule earlier? Yes. So, um, here's the, the thing. If you have something that takes two minutes, yes, do it right now. That takes priority. 
after your two minute tasks are done, then go right to your most difficult tasks and get those ones done. Because getting the most, what you're trying to do is you're trying to first get the little stuff out of the way so that you get rid of this feeling of quantity. I don't want all of these tasks on my shoulders. So get those off. And now focus on getting the heaviest task off your shoulders after that. And what that'll do is it, is it'll make the rest of your work, the rest of your tasks seem far less daunting. Yeah. So I would say for me, not even your most, maybe not even your most difficult, but whichever one you're avoiding, <laughs> what is yeah. the thing, what is the one thing that I am most avoiding doing right now? Right? Yeah. The most that- irritating, right? Yeah. So for me, I am, I'm most productive in the morning. Like right after I wake up, I, I go right to work because I just try to leverage the, the, time when I'm mentally most productive. And so that's when I get all my irritating, annoying shit done. And then later on in the late morning, early afternoon, late afternoon, that's where I focus on the stuff that's less pressing, less important, less irritating, because that's where I I still have the mental capacity to do that stuff, but I don't have the mental capacity to do that stuff. Um, later on in the day, I have to do it, you know, first, right when I'm feeling at my peak productivity wise. So that's how I use that one. So last number 11, avoiding perfection. This, I really like this. So one, the idea of perfection is non, non-existent. You know, if something is perfect, you're saying that thing can't ever change and everything is in a constant state of flux. Entropy pretty much guarantees it. So nothing is ever going to be perfect. And thinking that you need to wait until something is perfect, perfect timing, perfect situation, perfect circumstances, whatever. Perfection is the enemy of done. And Pareto's law, the 80-20 principle, applies pretty much everywhere. You know, you're not only are you going to get the bulk of the benefit from the smallest number of things, but you're going to get most of the benefit out of something if you get it up to 80, 90, 95% good, maybe. And it's generally going to take so much longer to do that last 10% or 5% or 1%, it's just, it's not worth it. You know, very often good enough is good enough. And knowing what your good enough mark is and being willing to stop there if trying to push further is pointless is very healthy. So I'd recommend doing that. Don't don't try to make everything perfect. Just make sure that it it's good enough. Yeah, I this has been one that's been hard for me to, to really grasp uh, as an entrepreneur. I, I always... I, I see imperfections. I'm, I have a high attention to detail and I, I want to fix things. I want to make things perfect, but I have had to learn that it is the enemy of progress. We've, we've bumped into this, just putting together this, this podcast. Like mm-hmm. there, there are some things that you, you wanted to be a little more polished. I'm like, eh, it's fine for now. For now it's fine. It's good enough until there's a reason to make it more than good enough. You know? Yep. This, so I, I, yeah, this, this one for me, like I'm, I'm kind of an efficiency nut and I've had to learn, you know, in order to be really efficient, you can't be a perfectionist. So I like things to be very good, but I also don't like to waste time. And so I've, I've had to train myself to find, find that balance and not be a perfectionist, even though I, I used to be, I used to be extremely anal retentive about having things <laughs> be very exact. And now it's like, is it clean? Spell checks? Good enough doesn't have to be any better, you know? Yeah. I've had to find that balance too. Well, Sam, I think that covers it. Those are the 11 psychological productivity hacks that you can use to be more productive. Anything else you can think of before we wrap up? 
No. And you know, I, I would ask our audience, if you listen to this, if you have productivity hacks, share them with us. You know, we're always we're always looking for more. I'm sure somebody out there has got something we've never heard of that's just spectacular. So please let us know. And yep. as always, you know, like the if you like the show, if you like what you're hearing, tell your friends, subscribe to it, leave a leave a rating, leave a review, and help us get the word out. Yeah, all those reviews and, you know, even just tweeting about it, anything like that helps uh, other people find us and that helps us out a lot. So thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. 